You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And we are coming to the end of our Life of David series. After today, we have only two weeks And then we will begin a brand new series through the book of 2 Timothy. But this is what we've been doing for 14 weeks, walking through the life of David. But we want to learn so much more than just facts about who David was. We want to see who his God was. And the great news that we know is that the same God that David followed and led him is the same God that we worship. And so this morning, we're going to go to these chapters, if you're finding your way, in 2 Samuel 17. You know, we have all received help. Maybe you've run out of gas, and that person come alongside and helped you out or helped you change that tire in the rain. Maybe something simple that you've got good neighbors that when you run out of sugar or you need one more egg, you know you can call on them, and they are there to help. Maybe you've been sick and Someone's brought you food or they've watched your children. Somebody made made a call on your behalf to help get that interview that you've been needing. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that wants to be help to other people. Man, I wish I could stand up here and tell you story after story of even just this week about things that have happened in the lives of our people and people have risen to the challenge and said, listen, I'm here to help. Even we had to beg to help. And that happens. And that is why being involved in a small group is so important. To have that group of people that you can call on. Because we want to be a group of people that are known for living generously. We want to be people that offer our help. And I was thinking through this past week just how many times I've seen this in my own life. Uh, I got a call uh, last week from a friend. Many of you know Corey Mason. and He was just calling to say hello. And I remember... I broke my hand doing something foolish. Um, broke my hand. It was on a Saturday afternoon. Came Sunday morning. I probably shouldn't have preached that morning. Don't know if I remember much. A lot of painkillers. Uh, but a tree fell on my fence that night. Marla went out and tried to move the tree, but she just couldn't. And I don't know. We were probably sharing that. Looked up Sunday afternoon, and uh, Corey Mason shows up with his chainsaw. Uh, cuts up the tree to get it off of the fence. And just people all around us that want to offer help. And sometimes help is like that. I mean, I knew when Corey showed up with a chainsaw, man, I knew help was there. And I knew what that help was for. And sometimes help is like that. It is so obvious and you welcome it. And man, it was great to see him. Uh, I wouldn't have been much help. The bad news is we found out the tree was covered in poison ivy. uh, But God was gracious, didn't, uh, didn't spread to him. But sometimes help isn't so obvious. Sometimes it's a help that really we would not welcome. And at the time, we don't appreciate it at all because it's not easily seen. In fact, it might not seem like help at all. I remember our house flooded. It's a horrible feeling walking in. You hear water pouring through your ceiling. And... Uh, But looking back now, you see God's blessing. You see God's help. That, man, we had a son suffering from lots of allergies. You know, two-story house, you can't just rip out the carpet because walking on bare floors isn't fun. But our house floods, and 
some generous people in our church helped us uh, make that possible to where we were able to get rid of the carpet. And you realize, wow, that water pouring through the ceiling, man, that was God's help. Then I remember um, years ago playing church softball. And a guy named Basil Hills, a local barber in town in Henderson, and was pitching. And let's just say he took a line drive in one of the most sensitive of areas, playing softball. Goes home that evening and tries uh, to get through the pain, and it's just getting worse and worse. Goes to the hospital and doing some x-rays and found out that he had cancer. And uh, He was able to live 25 years past that diagnosis. And the doctor said, you getting hit with that softball in that sensitive area... It really saved your life. And sometimes help is like that. It doesn't look like help at all. And so this morning, we're going to go to the life of David. And we're going to see David get help in two ways. One way is that kind you read, it puts a smile on your face. You're, you're excited to read about it. It leaves you feeling joyful and comforted. But then we will see David receive another type of help that isn't so heartwarming. In fact, it's help that will come very difficultly. Be difficult to receive this type of help, but it is nonetheless help. But David, I want you just to realize that David doesn't receive all these blessings and all this help from God because he deserves it. David doesn't get this help because his good outweighs his bad. He doesn't receive this help because he's deserving. He receives it because who his God is, and he receives it because of a promise that God made to him. And you're there in 17. If you want to follow along with me, I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel 7. I want to do this. I just want to remind us of the promise, the commitment that God made to David. It begins in verse 8. It says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David. And so here's the promise that God makes to David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. So, from a shepherd to a king. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Meaning, David, I'm your protector. And I will make you a great name. People will be talking about you for generations, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them. And we see that even today. So that they may dwell in their own place and not be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I have appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And then in verse 16, and from your house and from your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So that's the promise of to David, and that's why God is going to bring David help. It's not because he's deserving, but it's because God is faithful. So here we go, chapter 17, verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will rise, and I will pursue David tonight. So remember, David's on the run. 
David has been run out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom. He's heading to the other side of the Jordan. And I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged, and I will throw him into panic. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike down only the king. And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will then be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel, he's this advisor that kind of jumped camps. He was one of David, but he joins Absalom in overthrowing David. And he goes to Absalom, he says, here's my plan. Take 12,000 men, let me take them. I'll hunt David down, I'll surprise him, I'll kill him. Then I'll bring all the people back and there'll be peace in the land. Absalom hears this and he says, man, that sounds great. Because remember Ahithophel. In fact, you turn back to chapter 16, verse 23. This is what it says about when he spoke. He says, now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was one as if one consulted the word of God. Meaning, when Ahithophel spoke, it was as God was speaking. And it was the counsel of Ahithophel. It was highly esteemed. Meaning, when he spoke, you listened. When he spoke, you knew it was right. When he spoke... You could take it as God's word. And so you would expect, if you stopped reading, that you would turn to that next verse and it would say, 12,000 men are gathered and they head out after David. But notice that's not what happens. In verse 5, And Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, This is what Ahithophel has spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. So Absalom brings in Hushai. And this should seem very strange because if Ahithophel was God's mouthpiece, why would he bring Hushai in? If Ahithophel was highly esteemed, if he spoke it was seen as God, why would he bring and say, well, what does Hushai have to say? But then it gets even stranger. Absalom tells Hushai what Ahithophel said. Now, if you really want to know someone's opinion, you don't taint the pool. You bring them in, you ask him, hey, what is your opinion about something? What do you think we should do? But instead, Absalom tells Hushai the plan. Well, let's, let's see then what Hushai says in verse 11. But my counsel is this. All of Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. So from the very north to the very south, let's get all of Israel, all the army together. As the sand by the sea for multiplied. That you go to battle in person. Meaning you lead this battle. Don't let Ahithophel do it. Gather the troops. You lead them. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found. And we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him, that no one would be left. And if he withdraws into the city, then all of Israel will bring ropes to that city. And we will drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is found there. So Absalom has two very 
different ideas. One is you let me take 12,000 men. We'll go by night. We'll surprise him. We'll kill only David. Hushai says, no, no, no. Let's gather all the armies. Absalom, you lead us. And we will go and you kill every one of them. So now Absalom has to choose. In verse 14, it tells us. And Absalom said to all the men of Israel, he said this. The counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. So Absalom, he goes with Hushai's plan. And we know from last week that Hushai is actually there to infiltrate Absalom's inner circle. David, he is there to kind of win information that he can then help David. So here's what I want to do. Let me recap for us the rest of 17. So Hushai, what he does, he gets two messengers. And he's going to send them out to tell David, to tell David, this is what you need to do. You need to go hide in the wilderness. Absalom is coming. But as they're going, someone spots them. So this lady takes them to her well, puts the messengers down in the well, covers it, puts some weed on it, and hides them. So now pick up in 21. And after they had gone, the men came up out of the well, and they went and they told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey And went off to his home of his own city, and he set his house in order, and he hanged himself. And he died, and was buried in the tomb of his father. So David and all those that are with him, they are saved. And we could say Ahithophel is no longer a problem. But as they arrived on the other side of the Jordan, Absalom is setting up camp. Absalom is getting ready for battle. And David... And his people, they've been traveling all night. They finally got to the other side of the Jordan and they are exhausted and they are hungry. They are tired and they are weary. And David looks up. David looks up over the hill and he sees three figures coming. Notice who is coming to see David in verse 27. When David came to uh, Mahamin, Shobi, the the son of Nosh, of the Rabbith, the Amorites, and Makir, the son of Amil from Lodabur, and ba- uh, Barzillah, the Gileadite, from Rogulam, brought beds, basins, earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grains, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep, and the cheese from the herds, for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty from the wilderness. So out of nowhere, three men show up. But it's important to see who these three men are. So first you've got Shobi. He's a former pagan. He worshipped many gods and followed after the pagan lifestyle. So he's one. Coming with him? is Makir. Makir is a former loyalist of Saul. He was one of the enemies. 
And then Barzilla, you read on a little bit later, he says that he was one of the, the most senior of citizens in his 80s from that city. So these three very different men, a pagan, a man that followed Saul, and a very old senior citizen come together and they risk everything. Because notice, the battle hasn't happened yet. They don't know who is going to win. And they risk it all to stand with their king. Live or die, they say, David, we are with you. But think about that. Why, why does all of this happen? I mean, first of all, Hushai infiltrates Absalom's close advisors. Absalom takes Hushai's advice over the highly esteemed Ahithophel. The messengers hide in a well, and they're never discovered. David receives word that Absalom is coming, and everyone that is with him escapes. And then three men, a pagan, a former Saul, a Saul loyalist, and a senior citizen show up with beds, food, and supplies. And you go, how in the world does all of this happen? And here's what you're seeing. You're seeing the hiddenness of God's help. God has been there all along. But how, how, how do we know that that's true? Well, you go back to chapter 8, and you see it's because God promised David, David, wherever you go, Wherever you arrive, I will be there with all the help that you need. David couldn't see it, but help showed up at just the right moment. But now I want us to see the other side. Because this is the side we like to read about. We like to hear about stories where God comes through, help comes over the hill, all is saved, and everything works out. Man, we love those type of stories. But sometimes help isn't so easy. Sometimes help comes from the most unlikely of places. So in chapter 18, David prepares for battle. He gathers the troops, he divides them up. But before the battle starts, David makes sure everybody knows one thing. We're going to battle, but do not harm Absalom. And here's what's so strange. I mean, there is nothing redeeming about Absalom. He has everything promised to him, son of the king, he gambles it all away to overthrow his father. He wants his father dead so that he can take his father's place. Remember last week, he drew that line in the sand with the concubines, the point of no return to humiliate his father. But David says, don't touch him. And in verse 5, the king ordered Joab. Remember that name, that's important. Joab and Abishai and Ittai. He says, deal gently with my, uh, for my sake with the young man Absalom. And notice who hears. And all the people heard when the king gave the orders to the commanders about Absalom. So the battle begins. And then in verse 8, the battle spread over the face of all the country. And in the forest devoured more people that day than by sword. So even the elements of nature are taking people's lives. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. And Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head got caught fast in the oak. And he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. 
So David's winning. And as Absalom tries to escape, he gets caught in a tree. And a man sees him hanging there. And what does the man do? He remembers what David said. And he goes and he tells Joab, one of the commanders. And Joab comes up to this man and he says, What are you doing? What do you mean you told me he's hanging in a tree? Why didn't you kill him? Imagine the man said, Whoa, 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 hold on there, Joab. Don't you remember what the king said? The king said, do not harm him. So Joab takes some of his soldiers. They find Absalom caught in the tree. He spears him, and then his armor bearers kill him. They bury him under a pile of rocks. So then two messengers are sent to tell David what has happened. Beginning in verse 28 of chapter 18, notice the scene. It says, then Ahamaz cried out to the king, all is well. So he's the first one. And he bowed down before the king with his face to the earth. And he said, blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord the king. And the king says, is it well with my young man Absalom? And Ahamaz answered. When Joab sent the king's servant, your servant, I saw a great commotion, but I do not know what, what it was. So he lies. And in verse 30, and the king said, turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and he stood still and behold the Cushite. So an Ethiopian comes to the king and he said to him, the Cushite said, good news, my lord, the king, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who would rise up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. You know, I so appreciate this Cushite, that how gentle he is with David. He delivers this news about Absalom, but he never says Absalom's name. And he never uses the words death or dead. But David fully understands that Absalom is dead. And notice David's reaction in verse 33. And the king was deeply moved, meaning he had an ache deep down in his soul. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he wept, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. So David is heartbroken. We would say he is devastated. And I think we can all understand that as evil as his son was, as much as his son stood against him, David still loved him. And he is heartbroken over his death. But David is now paralyzed with grief. His army is returning from defeating the king's enemy. The people, they've been following David, running for their lives. And they're looking to their king for guidance. But David retreats to his room. His people need him. They need their king. But he is so grief-streaking that he has nothing to offer the people. The king is totally out of commission. And I think we can relate. I, I think some of us might have been there. You might know that type 
of grief. That type of grief where there is a pain in your heart that just hurts deep down. You feel like you can't breathe and that you almost don't know if you can face another day. And so David, David needs God's help. And that help is coming, but it is hidden. But at just the right moment, God's help walks in. But it comes from the most unlikely of people. So I want us to see the reaction. So get the picture. I mean, the army comes in. You would think, man, it's time to celebrate and to throw a party. The Lord has gone before us. We defeated the army. We defeated the enemy. The people have been following David around. Finally, there's going to be some peace. Absalom is dead. And the king is in his chamber weeping. So in verse, chapter 19, verse 1, it was told to Joab. Remember who Joab is. Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So first of all, he's younger. He's the nephew of David. David is his king and leader, not the other way around. But Joab is also the one that just disobeyed David's direct order and he killed David's son. So David is mourning. He is paralyzed. David needs help. But he doesn't know what to do. And when his followers hear that he is mourning, you know what they do? They begin to mourn. It says they came in as if people that are returning to the city, they're returning as if they had deserted. And now they are coming back in shame. Why? Because they're following their leader. So instead of celebrating God's protection and deliverance, they're mourning because David is. They're following their king's example. And Joab marches right into the king's chambers. And in verse 5, this is what it says. Joab came into the house of the king and he said, You today have covered with shame the faces of all your servants. You have this day saved, we have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and you hate those that love you. He says, David, that's how you're acting. Now you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today, I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse than you, than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. And you go, wow. How in the world, what makes you think? Think you can go in and talk to the king that way. Now, is it right and natural for David to mourn? Absolutely. So don't hear me say that. But it's not the right time. David can't get past his grief. He is caught in a place of mourning and he is paralyzed. And sometimes grief does that. It can feel like you are stuck in a dark dungeon and you cannot escape. No matter how hard you try, you're still stuck. And sometimes what happens is you need a friend to climb in to help you out. 
to help you gain maybe a different perspective. And that's what Joab does. Now, is his message harsh? Absolutely. But it's needed. Because David has people that are looking to him. They are counting on him. And he still has to lead. And what is powerful is the next verse. You know, David's known for three things. He's known for defeating Goliath. He's known for his sin with Bathsheba. And he's known for being a man after God's own heart. And I think what makes David a man after God's own heart is how quickly and how correctly he responds to correction. Because notice that you're grieving over your son. The man that disobeyed your orders and killed your son has marched into your chamber and talked to you like that. What would you do? In verse 8, let's see what David did. Then the king arose, and I'm thinking he took Joab by the throat. No. And he took a seat at the gate. And the people were all told, behold, the king is sitting at the gate. And all the people came before the king. Now Israel has fled. Absalom, his armies are gone. Every one of them to their own home. So God's help shows up when David is utterly heartbroken. But the help comes from a very unlikely person. God's help shows up in a man that just disobeyed your orders and killed your son. And David probably doesn't want to see Joab, much less listen to him. But David needed to hear that message. David listens and he responds correctly. And this is now the third time we've seen this. When Nathan came to David about Bathsheba, David responded rightly. Two weeks ago, remember when we saw Shimei when he's shouting insults at David? And David says, leave him alone. I might need to hear this. And now with Joab, he tells David that now is not the time to mourn. You have people counting on you. You need to put your big boy pants on and lead. Sometimes there is the hiddenness of God's help. And so this morning, I want us to walk away knowing More about David, but hopefully more about his God. And I would boil this down to two things. One would be this, is that God's help is there when you need it. Can't always see it, but it is there when you need it. And I was reminded this week of a story, and I don't know if you know much about Corey Ten Boom. I finished reading one of her books not too long ago about her life in the death camp. She was a survivor of the World War II concentration camps. Her father was a, a, a Dutch watchmaker, a strong believer. One day they were riding on a train. And her father took the moment because she was very inquisitive. And she was asking about riding the train and all the things going on. And asked about, well, Dad, where's my ticket? And he stopped her and he said, well, you don't hold the ticket, do you? And she said, No. He said, who does? And she said, you do, Daddy. He says, I hold the ticket, but when do I give it to you? Well, when we get off the train. He said, exactly. I give you the ticket when you need it. But it's always here. It's always here, but I give it when you need it. You know, life is like that, that 
When do we get the ticket? It's when we need it. But our job is to ride on and trust that that help is there when we need it. God's help is always there when we need it. But it's seldom early, but it is never late. But the second thing that I think about all of this is that God's help can sometimes show up in very unlikely places or people. You know, sometimes help might come in that person that you're having a really hard time getting along with. Maybe you share a home with them. Maybe it's at work. But that might be where the help you need is going to come from. It might be from the person that is talking and you are thinking, who are you to give me advice? That might be God's help. Help might come in the form of correction. Help might even come in conviction when you're getting on to that child and you realize that they learned that attitude and action from you. Help, it is always there. But it might show up in the most unlikely of places. God's help is always there and that's that hiddenness of God's help. And that's what we see from David is you can't always see it. But it's always there when we need it. And it might come from the most unlikely of places. And so this morning, I hope you find encouragement in the life of David. I hope that, man, you can get back on that train and you can ride on knowing that you will be given the help when you need it. And our job is to trust that it will be there. But maybe be a little more patient. I know I need to be. Of realizing, you know what, this might be God's help. I might not can see it, but God might be hiding it, but he will reveal it at just the right moment. This morning from the life of David, it's the hiddenness of God's help. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.